Welcome to Nuestro South Podcast. Hi y'all, this is Nancy from Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I am joined by my fellow host, Jonathan. Hey y'all, this is Jonathan. Mandando los saludos desde Buford Highway in Atlanta. Alison. Hey everyone, this is Allison from Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And Tanya. Hola, this is Tanya, and right now I'm bouncing around between Portland, Oregon and Woodstock, Georgia. And today we are taking a look at nuestras comunidades and how nuestra gente builds community across the South. And to me, when I think about community, it's often synonymous to home. And to me, home doesn't always necessarily mean a physical place. And uh, recently I've been thinking a lot about home because I just transitioned um, into college and I just moved in a few weeks ago. And um, after a few um, very unseasoned meals, I keep thinking about my mom's sazon, which just keeps reminding me of home. And when I think of home again, I think of community. And I, today I wanted to go into a topic of, about what forms our communities. And I wanted to tell y'all a story about what I think formed my community. Como mariposas monarcas, a swarm of immigrants from Ranchitos and Western Michoacán immigrated together more than 20 years ago to the little town of Dobson in rural North Carolina. On their journeys, they envisioned a land that would house their future and that of their children, a place where they could settle and establish their homes away from home. What they didn't expect to find were homes that were built like immigrants themselves, always on the move, trying to find a space to lay down roots. These mobile homes, or trailas, were always some of the most affordable housing options for newly arrived immigrants who came here with little savings. And when immigrants like my parents came across trailas situated next to Las Polleras where they worked, they didn't hesitate to sign the paperwork. In our rural towns, the agriculture and poultry industry drew in many of them with the prospect of financial stability, getting them one step closer to the highly sought after American dream. When they signed their names on those contracts, they were not simply agreeing to purchase or rent these homes. They began writing their stories of a life living in the United States. While these homes were not ideal living situations for some, due to the nearby pollution from the chicken factories, these trailer parks became the grounds for an emerging, prosperous Latine community. The colorful exterior laminas were one of the few things that gave life to the makeshift vecindades. In Dobson, the trailer park next to the chicken factory owned by Wayne Farms didn't merely host employees. It was home to a community. It was the grounds to a village where every señora that fed you was addressed as tía, regardless of your actual relation, and every so-called tío gave you unsolicited life advice while intoxicated. Trailer parks like this can still be found all across the rural south, imitating the homes left behind for a better future. In North Carolina alone, 14% of the population live in mobile homes or other forms of manufactured homes. And the Latine community is nearly 25% more likely to live in mobile homes. Mobile homes throughout the rural South have increased in demand, mostly due to the rapid increase in housing and rental costs. And for the Southern Latine community, which is largely made up of low-income and working-class individuals, this housing may be the only option. One of the biggest concerns that mobile homeowners face is the looming circumstance of displacement. Typically, people who live in mobile homes own the physical home, but many pay ground rent, so they do not actually own the land where they reside. In rural North Carolina, laws that do not take into account the Latine community preside. 
With the barriers legal status may present, homeowners may not be able to register their homes under their names, which leaves them with little to no legal protection if rent prices drastically rise or if the lot where they live is sold. These small technicalities prevent homeowners from being able to fight their cases in court. Unfortunately, our trailer park couldn't escape this problem. Tenants had heard rumors about the parking lot being sold off to Wayne Farms, the same chicken plant that brought in these immigrants in the first place. But they held on to the hope that they wouldn't be forced out. Later on, news of the sale also reached local news outlets, and they were the ones responsible for breaking the news to them. After more than three decades, their trailer park would be sold off to make space for the factory's expansion. Families were given less than a year to move out with no monetary compensation, and while some wanted to sue, they didn't know how. The generation of trailer park kids had witnessed the loss of the places where they had grown up. Now, you can only see the peeled paint that carries the memories of silver-toothed kids' travesuras, beer bottle caps that are the only witnesses left of the late-night conversations, and mini, no pusta cabron entire marks of the last mobile homes to have said goodbye to the lands they were once stewards of. To protect these precious places, we, ne we need legislation reform that is more inclusive regardless of legal status, and we need to invest more resources in these areas, including affordable housing and increase in funding. These trailer parks are prime examples of our community's innovation. We turn empty parking lots into cultural enclaves with nothing more than nuestras ganas. We turn strangers into family members, and we turn nothing into something. And this is not only my story of my community, but I know this is a story that can be shared throughout all of the rural South. And I was hoping to hear what you all's living situation was like and if y'all connected to anything from this piece. Yeah, um, so my living situation, uh, we lived in an apartment complex, like basically my entire life. Uh, when we first uh, came here, um, my family, my dad's side of the family is from like came from Mexico City, and my mom's came from Michoacan. So I like definitely related to like just coming from that same region, um, living. And then I lived in apartment complexes, and then on my freshman year of college, my parents were able to finally get a house. Um, so that was really cool for them. But obviously, like, I didn't really live there because I was off in school. Um, but I definitely relate to this, like, feeling of, like, also being driven out. Like, one of my uncles, who was, like, the only one for a long time that had a house, he also, like, like we did everything there. And they, like, tore it down to, like, build a, a new school. So it's kind of like you, again, you, like you said, those, like, just a brief, like, memory, like, you remember of what you remember doing there. Like, but the structure itself is a little gone, so it's a little... Uh, fond memories, but also kind of sad that the, the physical place of where it was is kind of gone. I mean, I definitely, you know, you're, I mean, it was beautiful. You know, what you said in it was beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. And, you know, it's, this is a, a common story, I think, across the South, I feel, across the country even, you know, like the ways that Latinx and immigrant communities, we're easy to displace, easy to disenfranchise um, in places like trailer parks and apartment complexes, like, I live here on Buford Highway in Atlanta, which is, it's a very Latino and Asian and immigrant kind of community. It's like six to nine miles of highway. And for a lot of these kids and these families, for a lot of these families, it was the first place they came to live after coming from their countries. And a lot of folks were born and raised here. 
But a lot of these kids and their families are being gentrified out. They're being pushed out by, you know, urban developers, gentrifiers, right? All these different forces that, you know, where los ricos más ricos y los pobres más pobres. So it's, it's, it's really sad to see, you know, how where our folks here in the South are always displaced and pushed out of homes and we're forced to recreate ourselves each time. For me, when my family first immigrated here from Peru, In, and in Jersey, we all sh we all shared in a same home, and there were many families living under the same roof. Now that we're in Winston Salem, it's we all live in, or my family and I, my immediate family live in a home in I think the suburbs. I never really understood the difference between the suburbs and the city because here they're kind of pretty mingled. It's very close, just a short drive downtown. But there's also a very clear distinction between the different areas here. I recently visited Durham and seeing the gentrification there, like Jonathan described, is really pretty discouraging seeing these 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 modern houses and how they're replacing the homes that could be more affordable and more accessible to people who would need them and who could benefit from living in them. Thank you, Nancy, for sharing your story. It really was beautiful. Keep typing me up. I want to hear it. No, but thank you all for sharing. Um, and I wanted to touch on something that you just brought up, Alison, about how other people define um, these housing um, areas. Um, usually trailer parks are seen as these areas where like white trash live or like they're seen as ghetto or even ratchet. Um, those are popular terms that are used to define these areas. And back to like uh, how you were describing it, Tanya, like these are uh, places where we have like precious memories but like sometimes like it gets hard to reminisce about them because like we just get sad about seeing these places disappear and I think for me like although a lot of people don't see this as ideal living situations I think for me you know I'm a trailer kid like I'm a trailer park kid at heart like for me like that that place holds such a dear place in my heart because It was just like a little tiny vecindad. Like, I never knew what house I was going to go to in the afternoon. Like, it depended on who had the best food or, like, where the kids were going to be playing that day. Like, it was truly, like, uh, y'all know the idea of, like, oh, like, uh, like a, something about a village. Like, um, I don't know. But it truly felt like the whole community was a family. Like, and, like, I always felt safe in those spaces. Like, Yeah, it takes a village to raise a kid. Yeah. Um, and it truly felt that way because I think America or the United States usually promotes this idea of individualism and like mm -hmm. you got to do it yourself. Mm -hmm. But in these spaces, we practice the like a community, like a true community where you can depend and rely on each other, where you support each other. De alguna manera se hacía, you know, like if you didn't have the resources, someone else would probably have them. And we were all there to support each other. And um, kind of segueing into this discussion of community, I wanted to know, um, how do you guys think that the type of housing in our, in our communities influence the lifestyle of its members, kind of regarding like social class mobility or even like education, healthcare, workspaces, any of those? Uh, yeah, I could probably answer that like where I grew up, like, Roswell, I guess demographically, like if you look at a map, it's like very white and like very middle class. But then you know, 
right off exit seven. It's just a cluster of apartment complexes that are like mainly POC live there. And it's seen as like, like the bad part of the area. And at one point, like they call it like they just refer to it as little Mexico at some point, even like amongst the kids at school. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's a bad part. Like, yeah, they would use the term ghetto a lot. And it's like, but you've also said it takes a village. Like, I actually felt so safe there because all the moms would like keep an eye on each other's kids. So I had like a bunch of moms watching over me the entire time. So I never felt um, unsafe. Um, But also within these communities, I feel like our parents, the goal was always like, one day we're going to move out. The goal is a house. The goal, that's when I know I've made it, is when we've like moved out of our apartment and get our own house. But then I think they also like, lost touch with the community sometimes once they did were able to do that and like they have their own house and they have their own space and they're happy about that but then it's harder to stay connected yeah i mean i definitely you know i i feel for a lot of kids that grow up in these apartment complexes i mean myself being one of them right like i ping pong between my family ping pong between whatever apartment complex at the cheapest rent growing up and all that right and the apartment complexes and neighborhoods where you know uh families of color live or folks of color live uh they're always gonna they're usually gonna be like degraded and called like ghetto and ratchet and sometimes there is a lot of crime sometimes there is a lot of you know poverty a lot of just you know issues in these communities but it's not a reflection of these people but of the circumstances right the poverty the lack of resources in a lot of our communities and it gets really sad when you know we we when we see kids who are like i can't wait to leave this place i can't wait to get out of here because things are so bad because especially when it's like really historical like communities like pioneering communities like you know Buford Highway is always my my point of reference like this is such a important community of like Latino and immigrant uh, families here but we're getting gentrified out but also things have gotten so bad with violence and crime that there are people that can't wait to leave there are people that can't wait to leave and I remember growing up you know in here in Atlanta and in Arkansas especially like I could not wait to get the hell out of where I was living because I was going to go somewhere like New York or California, right? These places that we idealize. But, you know, it's really sad that where people create a home, it's it's a place that people want to get away from. And when all of us leave these, pla- these, these homes that other people created, it's going to stop being a home for other people at some point. Like we never come back to fix our communities. It just gets worse and worse or they just eventually disappear. I definitely agree. I feel like the opportunities that are available to you can very much depend on your housing situation and where you live. If you have other concerns on your head at the moment, it can be harder to seek out maybe opportunities when it comes to school or when it comes to work. For example, there's this museum downtown and I recently volunteered at it. And a lot of the a lot of the campers were from housing situations that were, that seemed to be generally pretty safe and pretty supportive. And I noticed there was a big lack of Latino students there or campers. And that made me wonder if maybe it was the area that influenced them, that they didn't know about the opportunity or it was difficult to afford. And your housing situation has a big impact on that. Also, Nancy, thank you earlier for educating me. I always love knowing more about different housing situations and the definitions of these different places. I was wondering, you mentioned that you're in college. Does, do you think, or you're in college right now, I think it's your first year, congratulations. Do you feel that it's maybe harder to find a sense of community there than it was at your home? Thank you so much, Alison. Um, 
To be honest with you, yes, it has been very hard for me, at least, to find my community. I think, I think sometimes there's this misconception about um, all lat- like the Latina community being the same. So, like, even though we're within the same community, we're all all gonna have the same experiences. So you can't automatically connect with everyone. Um, and that's only one side of it, but also being on these college campuses where we are such a small percentage, it gets kind of hard to find that sense of community. But what I found is that I've gotten close to just a few people. Y todavía sí, like I feel at home here. Um, is the food good? No. Um, yeah. But still, like I still get happy, like when I cook with my friends, like it's still like we're keeping our practices alive here and like no importa que nomás seamos como tres ahorita it's it's all the same to me um that we're here and it doesn't matter that we're such a small number we're a powerful group and you know i just i just love that that like we face all these challenges and it doesn't um it doesn't impede like our success here um And yeah, thank you all for contributing to the conversation. Thank you all for being vulnerable, especially you, Jonathan, for sharing um, your experiences. And I definitely related to that experience where you wanted to move out. Um, And just to tie everything together, I think it's all about how we define these places. Um, From outsiders, they can be seen as ratchet or ghetto, as unlivable. And, but from insiders, um, from the trailer park kid, um, it's una vecindad. It's a beautiful place. It's where culture thrives. Um, and I think it's about how we define our narrative and how we move forward from that. Thank you for tuning in and be on the lookout for future episodes. This was for all my folks in Surrey County. This is for us, y'all. If you connected with their stories, make sure to like, share, and subscribe.